Hello from Cybrary, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied, your bi-weekly podcast that brings you the latest trends and news all about cybersecurity to help get you educated and up to date. My name is Joseph Carson. I'm your host of the episode. I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO here at Dicotic Centrify, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. I have a very special guest on the show today, and I'm welcomed uh, with Yok. So, Yok, uh, do you want to give us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, sure, Joe. Thanks for the invite. Well, uh, I'm Colonel Yaktarian. I'm an active duty Estonian Air Force uh, service member. For the last three years, I've had the privilege to serve as the director of NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence, or CCDCOE, a wonderful military acronym. Uh, the center is based out of uh, Tallinn, Estonia. Uh, the center is naturally uh, several years older than, than I have served there. It was uh, really started as a national center in Estonia in 2003. Um, in 2004, Estonia proposed to NATO allies to have an international center, and it took a few years to, to really catch on, but after the 2007 mm-hmm. Russian attacks on Estonia, nations realized the importance of cybersecurity to the alliance, um, and by now, uh, the CCDCOE has grown to be the largest of the NATO. Uh, I think there are now 28 accredited centers of excellence, so CCDCOE is largest by the number of countries joined and the number of members as well. Um, I, I already went into topic now, so I hope I didn't ruin your plan. But you know, anything else you want to know about me? No problem. Absolutely, that's exactly for the audience. Um, you know, it's it's great to have Yak on and to provide us really. You know, the theme for today's episode is really to get a good understanding. You know, a lot of you know people have probably heard of the NATO Cyber Defense uh, Corpus Center of Excellence. And uh, but really, I don't think many people really kind of get an understanding about what it does and what its value is. Uh, so, Yak, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I remember going back to you know even uh, being based in Estonia during 2007, and uh, you know during the you know the, basically there's a cyber war that was happening and the attack that it really made it clear what what for me what really made it clear at that time was that. You know, no country can can operate alone in cyber. It really means cooperation. It means working together. It means transparency. It means multiple countries and nations coming together to really provide a deterrence and provide less places for cyber criminals to, to be operating from and be successful. Um, so what, you know, the Cyber Defense Center of Excellence is fantastic. Um, and it's really kind of provide the audience and education. So um, I mean, what, so just kind of provides a little bit more, what, what types of services does, does it provide? Um, what types of capabilities and uh, value does it get um, uh, out there? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of myths and, and legends there. And the, even if I now tell everything that we do, there's probably going to be people who don't believe me. There's, there's people who think that we are the offensive NATO cyber arm and we, mm-hmm. we create the cyber missiles to be launched. Um, well, all the 28 centers of excellence uh, in NATO, um, they, we, we do not belong to the NATO operational chain of command. We do not get NATO common funding. 
we are accredited by NATO, but we're rather like independent think tanks. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, three pillars, research, training, exercises. That's, that's what we do. Uh, small, agile uh, organization, uh, flexible, uh, low bureaucracy, uh, not officially affiliated with NATO. Thus, we, we, we always need to give a disclaimer that anything that we say uh, is not part of NATO official position. Mm -hmm. uh, thus, uh, we have the academic freedom to talk about subjects that are not really commonly accepted by NATO nations um, already. And I can give several examples how, how our center has been, you know, on the forward edge of, of uh, cyber thinking. Um, in 2007, when Estonia was uh, attacked by Russia, uh, you know, uh, our high officials in NATO HQ went to their colleagues and said Estonia is under attack. And they, their counterparts literally would switch on CNN and BBC mm -hmm. and say, well, I, I can't see tanks and airplane. You know, what do you, what do you mean you're under attack? The concept of cyber attack uh, being associated with a breach of sovereignty and mm -hmm. potentially could result in a NATO collective response by Article 5, uh, mm -hmm. it, it was not there. Um, the center, uh, as soon as it became international in 2008, started doing research on legal and strategic topics. How are the cyber attacks and sovereignty and the NATO collective response mm -hmm. related? And only NATO reached, you know, 2014 summit consensus and mm -hmm. summit declaration that uh, cyber attack is a breach of can can be uh, constituted as a breach of sovereignty and can result in a, um, in a collective response. Um, uh, so, um, really, uh, currently, well, I can't think of a topic right now that uh, we, we need to come up with something new provocative because NATO has really <laughs> gathered, gathered, gathered speed in, in cyber. Just a few mm -hmm. years back, our exercise uh, cross-swords uh, on offensive cyber training, mm -hmm. offensive cyber skills, um, we couldn't call it offensive cyber exercise because some of our member nations were not comfortable with being associated with offensive mm -hmm. cyber. Um, so we called it, you know, red teaming, penetration testing, and all the nations participated eagerly because they wanted to be trained, but they just, mm -hmm. you know, want to be associated. So um, two and a half years ago, I think it was the first time that all the major member nations had made policy statements that, yes, we do off this offensive cyber as well when, when needed. So then we started calling crosswords, you know, offensive cyber exercise, okay. um, and it, it's fine. Um, a few years back, uh, we, we had... Um, you know when when the 5G and Huawei threat was an yes. American, American topic and uh, national security European, Europeans didn't really want to touch it. It was a hot potato. Yes. We we ran just just a kind of a summary paper that that mm -hmm. summarized the debate and and the threats dangers, um, and it was uh, very very um, attention getting getting paper. Even Huawei themselves uh, contacted us and said, mm -hmm. "Can we?" pay you a visit and explain our positions. We kindly mm -hmm. declined. We didn't want to be used for their PR purposes. But um, yeah. you know, now we have uh, several 5G research projects on our agenda. Was that and, was that uh, in conjunction with the one that was done in the UK or was that independent separately? Was Because I know the UK, uh, because of Huawei's depth and, you know, uh, let's say, uh, where they were going to be used in the UK's core 5G networks and, and, and edge networks. Uh, was that, uh, UK did their own... Um, Kind of Huawei investigation that they really. Oh, oh yeah, it must be their own. Yeah, we, own. We, okay. we we don't 
we're not focusing on any particular nation or or any you know we don't have a Huawei device here that we're trying to you know find the smoking gun on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're under a small organization. We're just over seventy people. Out of that, about twenty are you know technical experts. The rest are strategy, law, operations, mm-hmm. education, training, such stuff. So uh, we we do not usually create any new code, any new hardware. We we rather do you know uh, research on mm-hmm. what's out there in the world. Uh, we we study operational uh, operational aspects of cyber. We teach many courses. Uh, mm-hmm. We study strategic aspects of cyber and. Uh, Quite a strong arm is our legal arm. So uh, okay. one of our flagship projects, for example, is the Talon Manual. Yes, uh, it's an <laughs> ongoing study. Oh God, is it time to go there now? Yeah, let's let's let's, let's go into the Talon Manual because I, I remember, you know, uh, um, yeah, I kind of had to be, be careful about what I say, but yeah, because uh, I, I did provide some kind of contribution to it, but uh, my preference was to remain anonymous at the time. Um, and I really think, you know, Brad Smith, when he came out, uh, he's the president of Microsoft at the time, um, uh, still is, um, came out and really kind of indicated about the need for like a Geneva convention style and the, the talent papers was kind of following up. So I think now is a good time to, to cover the talent papers because I think it's a really important part, um, that we need to have, you know, a more kind of global legal, legal framework. And that is, you know, about what's the, you know, the right approaches, especially when we get into cyber wars. Yeah, well, um, yeah. Uh, has Brad been out? I remember it was pre-pandemic, so it must have been 2018, 19 when it was out. Was that the one and only at the same time you were talking about? Yeah, so at, I think it was, he was probably previously here uh, before, but it was the pre-pandemic time. It was around 2017. I, I literally just walked past him at the airport when he was arriving. Um, okay. I was leaving. I was leaving when he was arriving at the time. Yeah, um, he came by the center. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we so. we had a good discussion. Yeah, I remember that. So uh, I want to say 2019, but okay. The the telling manual hmm. doesn't want to be and cannot be the you know the equivalent of a Geneva Convention. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the telling manual studies all the existing international law that regulates human conflict mm-hmm. um, in, in any domain and applies it to cyber domain. So it's an academic study on international law, how it applies in the cyber domain. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in the early 2000s, and still to some point, the likes of Russia and China and Iran, they maintain that cyberspace is the new Wild West and no, no rule applies there. That, um, and they try to... Try to uh, appear really good willing and uh let's start negotiating new rules mm-hmm. uh well the rest of the world has maintained that there are rules but uh before tally manual there really was no you know big consensus building set of rules tally manual uh as i said is an academic study it's not mm-hmm. nato policy it's not right. any nation's policy it's, it's an academic study how the likes of the, the not the digital Geneva Convention that doesn't exist, but the real Geneva Convention, how that applies, you know, in, in a cyber domain. Um, there are, you know, it, and it it studies really many many aspects, the mm-hmm. espionage and then well, you, you name it, sovereignty, all those things. There are, the, it, and it's it's really important that we revisit how we how we look at cyber attacks and. 
don't separate them from the physical attacks as much as we tend to do. Uh, I give one example. If, uh, you know, Nation A sends an aircraft that mm-hmm. drops bombs on a hospital in Nation B and people die, then we immediately cry out war crimes, right? You cannot attack a hospital. But if the same Nation A launches a cyber attack and the same hospital in Nation B loses power or, you know, loses medical records and mm-hmm. same number of people die, somehow it's, it, it is in our minds that we, we don't think immediately of war crimes. Well, you know, the building is intact. There is, there is no smoke. Uh, just some computers were out of whack. And, you know, it, it's a different thing, right? Well, it's not. It's, it's the it's same the kind of attack with the same kind of impact. People died. Uh, so uh, it, it is important that we get our heads straight, that cyber attack is, is Domain of operations like yeah, like NATO delivery. Player in 2016. Yeah, absolutely. It's a delivery mechanism. You know, we we, we look at no matter what the kinetic result might be, um, and the impact um, is equivalent to that of a physical attack. Um, it's you know, it's just a delivery mechanism uh, that is you know has been evolved in recent years, um, and you know that absolutely it's it should not be seen as any different, um, uh, especially when the impact is the same. Yep, um, and we we just launched this year the follow-up of Talib Manual, the, the 3.0 mm-hmm. revision process. We're looking to publish several years down the road, but we our nations asked us to run a new study, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. When I came to the job in 2018, the Talib Manual 2.0 had just finished in 2017, and I asked the law branch, when is the time for next? And mm-hmm. they said, well, it, it's several years away. It's, it's you know, uh, there is not enough new material. But mm-hmm. the, the, the field is developing so rapidly that now the nations said that, well, our member nations that uh, first there is there is plenty of uh, evolving state practice. You know, mm-hmm. state has applied the law. States have uh, made policy statements that now that the field is different and it is rapidly mm-hmm. changing. So we we launched a new study uh, probably in the you know next four years. We'll we'll rewrite it a couple of times as the things are changing and. As soon as we publish a paper book, it'll be outdated in a couple of you know <laughs> months. Well, maybe maybe a year that uh, there will be new material out there. But mm-hmm. sometimes the the process and the discussions are are more important than the result. Absolutely, the yeah. you know, it's keep, the activity. It's the activity. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. So Absolutely. we're we're the three three O is coming, but but I'm currently going to be interested in seeing because I think yeah. I think that's that's probably the big for me. You know, having a much more international cooperation around cyberspace in general and, you know, what, what's the legal boundaries. I think it's really important uh, because we really need to make, you know, come to a collaboration around that. It's, it's, it's really kind of from a legal aspect, I think that's where we can do the most effective uh, measures. Um, you know, the less place, the less places that cyber criminals and nation states have the freedom to operate in those mechanisms um, the more we kind of push them into places where it's more difficult to operate, I think the safer the world will be. Um, but right now, there's a lot of countries just, you know, just providing safe havens, especially for cyber mercenaries who operate both, wear both hats. You know, sometimes they'll do something for a nation state and malicious activity, and then they'll carry out ransomware for financial gain. Uh, we have to be sure that, you know, there's less places for those operations to occur. Very true, but... Um... It's it's quite optimistic view that we're going to change it in in a you know short term future with with establishing rules if mm-hmm. you know that 
the rules of physical space have been agreed by the nations long, long time. Yet, you know, Russia is waging quite open warfare in in eastern Ukraine, yeah. um, and and um, well, the Ukrainians can display any sort of proof. I mean, I remember the Ukrainian president demonstrating the physical passports mm-hmm. confiscated from Russian troops uh, in in the Ukrainian territory, um, and uh, President Putin says that well, they were on vacation. You know, so if, if you run to that level of deniability that, I, you know, I, I don't care. Those guys were on vacation and uh, they bought their equipment in the military surplus stores. Then uh, uh, in the cyber world, it's it's almost impossible to make Russia admit anything. Uh, yeah. Attribution and accountability you know, is two of the most difficult things. Uh, attribution is for our own public that we yeah. we stand up and we say that wrong is wrong and they did it. But uh, we cannot expect just that attribution to change their behavior, unfortunately. Absolutely. There is no shame there. So, so can I move in? One of the things I'd like to know as well is, you know, kind of what makes up the uh, CCD, COEO? What, what, what establishes, you know, who participates? Um, is it just the member nations? Is it also private and public, you know, parts? Um, how, how, how is the involvement, uh, what, you know, what makes up the, the, the uh, cooperation members? Yeah, well, the official members, the signing of the Memorandum of Understanding are, are the member nations. Mm-hmm. Um, all NATO member nations have a fairly automatic and easy process in. They just need to apply and, uh, and, and join and start manning and start uh, contributing to the budget. Um, on a consensus-based vote, uh, we can also accept outside of NATO nations, mm-hmm. and we already have, um, let me think now, uh, the, our, outside our, of NATO, Ireland's, we have members, <laughs> yeah, partners, part, part, important, yeah, partner <laughs> nations are um, uh, Finland, Sweden, Austria, Switzerland, um, and in the joining process, there are Ireland, yeah. um, Korea, Japan, and Australia. So as you can see, we're going out of that um, common Euro-Atlantic, mm-hmm. you know, area. And it's very, very great benefit for us that we get that perspective from the Asia-Pacific region as well, mm-hmm. as, as we are connected. Now, you had a very good question. What about the academia and private yes. industry? Um, official members are the nations, but mm-hmm. we do have cooperation agreements and partnership, different shapes and forms with uh, uh, private sector and with academia. Uh, mm-hmm. Our local partner, Taltech University, a uh, great partner. We have a long-term common partnership on many projects. Mm-hmm. We've had um, several projects with uh, King's College London, William and Mary in, in U.S. Mm-hmm. A few more that I, uh, yeah. Um, Army Cyber Institute out of West Point. Yeah. Uh, a few others. Private companies. Uh, mostly it revolves around our technical exercises. Mm-hmm. If we go now into the Lock Shields, uh, uh, the listeners can go to YouTube and uh, Google up Lock Shields. You get uh, several years of, of videos that we made of Lock Shields. Uh, but uh, Lock Shields has grown to be the largest live fire cyber exercise in the world. And what makes it special that in addition to the NATO cyber range and uh, you know common computer networks that are targets to be attacked and defended on the cyber range, we have built a digital nation with uh, really national critical infrastructure elements that are as realistic as possible. Partners like Siemens have brought us the mm-hmm. uh, digital power grid elements, the power distribution, the, the real hardware and software, 
um, Ericsson, um, GSM sets, mm-hmm. um, Bitium tactical walkie-talkies. Some yep. some startups, the Estonian startups, face it, brought their satellite uplink, um, <laughs> and we're, we're we're trying to get we're we're, we're trying to get the military industry involved as well. They've been very very shy about uh, bringing their products to be hacked, as you know they see it. Yep. Uh, but a good example is. You know, is there anything more sensitive than power distribution this day and era? Uh, and if Siemens Digital Grid brings their, you know, power distribution and finds benefit in it, um, both reputation-wise and product development-wise, I, I think it is a good example that, uh, you know, that the big big names of the military industry should bring their products to Lock Shields as well. And I, I keep working on it, but uh, it's it's been tough. I mean, it's it's important. I mean, I think it's it's important to be proactive about these uh, because otherwise, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is is getting disclosures and finding risks after it's already been deployed. So, you know, you want to do this as early as possible. Um, you know, I, I attend a lot of events and we do a lot of, you know, working a lot of uh, vulnerability disclosure, you know, types of activities. And the earlier you get into the practical side of things, the more you find out about you know what using it in these live simulations. Um, I think it's important uh, because, therefore, you know, you can reduce the costs of those much later down the line, and uh, being involved in those, I think, is is so critical. Yep. So that was the partnerships. Um, some organizational partnerships. Let me think now. Um, European Defense Agency um, are looking ways to partner on education and trainings. The same with um, NCIA Academy, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the new organization there. Uh, so um, uh, there, there is a lot to be done in cyber education and training. So uh, uh, that's that's a big big sphere of what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we teach about twenty courses, uh, mostly. Used, well, it used to be here in Tallinn. Now in the pandemic era, we we push them online. Uh, so it's. It, it, it's. I'm not talking e-learning. We have e-learning program as well, and there is about ten courses there. But uh, it's still live teaching, but live online with uh, online instructor-led workshops. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it, in some aspects, it works better than than you know e-learning. Uh, e-learning is a good preparatory tool to kind of level the pre-existing mm-hmm. knowledge in the students. There are some you know uh, recommended and mandatory courses on e-learning to take before coming to our courses. But our courses range range from you know strategic level. Um, we call it uh, executive cyber seminar. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the shortest course. It's, it's two days for you know military one star and up and civilian equivalent kind of a uh, exclusive conversation mm-hmm. led conversation led by experts. Um, and that's the course we haven't taken online. That's taught here in in Tallinn um, in, in small groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is operational level courses. Um, uh, operational cyber threat intel, um, oper- uh, operational planning uh, of, of cyber aspects and combat, um, critical infrastructure. Um, uh, gosh, you know, I, don't know. I can't remember the official name now of the course, but the <laughs> yeah, critical infrastructure protection course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, um, several sorry. technical courses taught on a cyber range. Yeah, yeah let's, let's kind of go in a little bit more details in, in Lock Shields because I always think it's, it's uh, you know amazing. I usually you know, get to, sometimes I'm traveling at the time, so I don't get to participate or see it. Um, but uh, for me, it's always fascinating to hear, you know, the, the stories and 
and uh, some of the scenarios. I think uh, this this year was it was uh, an island, uh, or um, and previous years it was a power station. And uh, um, can you give some examples of the scenarios that's been played out? Um, and also, you know, uh, there's always this kind of the top five or the countries where really who's really leading to you know uh, to be the leaders because there's a, there's, a, there's a it's very competitive as well as I believe. Uh, in regards to the scoring system well, for the countries. Let's go scenario first. Uh, hmm. it, it has been the island island uh, of Berylia that uh, hmm. rises from the middle of Atlantic every April and gets cyber attacked. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, we, we don't tweak too much with the scenario because, uh, you know, it's it needs to be politically neutral with our hmm. this being a public exercise and uh, sure. so many nations participating, you know. Um, so um, and uh, we we built uh, 24 districts of Berylia, 24 in a, with the purpose of having 24 teams mm-hmm. having fairly identical set of targets that one professional red team starts attacking. Um, so uh, and we we place the systems in Berylia that our industrial partners bring bring for us, mm-hmm. and some systems are so complex uh, that. You really need, you know, multi-year projects, so they don't. They get upgraded each year, software and hardware-wise. Mm-hmm. With example, you know, Siemens is the prime example. The Siemens Digital Grid, really, uh, we get upgrades every year. We have a long-term, really good partnership with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Their technicians uh, help us to set it up. So uh, the, the power grid aspect is, is, is the very the strongest, the most, you know, high high-tech. Uh, aspects of lock shields, but then there is, you know, the, as I mentioned before, the the communications aspect, the Stratcom, strategic communication networks, DSM, and tactical communications, mm-hmm. um, and then what I was uh, this year, we had the first military company, um, Brazilian Avibras, brought their um, <laughs> RC2 software, which which was yeah, the uh, really good the mm-hmm. uh, air defense uh, air defense command control uh, software of of Berlia was was target of, of cyber attacks. So um, our Singapore uh, partners bring water purification setups. So they mm-hmm. have a very, very impressive, um, big industrial size, you know, water purification lab in in Singapore, and they bring you know the the miniaturized twenty four kits with with software uh, to <laughs> us for lock shields uh, to be to be used as the Berylia water purification plants. And scenario, yeah, there is a. Unfriendly nation, I can't even remember its name. Maybe it doesn't have a name. I, I, I think it does, but I can't. Uh, Crimsonia, wherever that came from. It's been forever. Yeah, uh, Crimsonia. So, uh, and uh, they start pressurizing, threatening, and mm-hmm. at some point uh, there's been physical attacks. Oh, you know what? I don't think in Lock Shields, there, in the scenario, there's been physical attacks on Berylia by Crimsonia. Mm-hmm. But we're using the same scenario for the offensive cyber exercise cross swords. With cross swords, that, okay. That, that's where things get physical as well, because in cross swords, mm-hmm. uh, we get in addition to the offensive cyber, we mix in special forces that actually you know, do kinetic action. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. that's an exciting, exciting exercise as well. Uh, but let's let's try to finish up on what she was. Do you have anything else I should talk about? Leave me. Yeah. In. And who's the, I mean, usually it's a scoreboard. It's in April. It lasts, what, five days or so? Or a couple of days? And, and yeah. 
uh, so the, the hot phase is two days. Uh, two days okay. uh, you know, for, for us, it's a year-long project. And yeah. the, the setup lasts in a, in a hotel for five days. Um, the first day for the nations is familiarization with the networks. So they frantically mm -hmm. look for look for the security holes and, and to, to patch them. Uh, and then on, um, you know, there is two days when the uh, attacks go on. And okay. then there is, uh, you know, index and uh, hot, hot push-up days or the feedback days. Yeah, the, the competitive aspect. Well, it's not meant to be a competition. We we run it as an exercise for the nations to test, experiment, learn, fail, you know, fail in yeah. the exercise. However, if you award feedback points to human beings, they get competitive. Yes. So uh, we, we by popular demand, uh, we we have a winner trophy of lock shields. <laughs> We've had long debates. How do we handle it? Because we don't want nations to play to win. At least mm -hmm. not all of them. That that we we want nations to be okay to experiment and and come in last, but learn the most. So yep. how how we struck a compromise is that only the top three places are publicly announced. So that the winner in the second place, the third place, they, they get the public fame. Uh, the rest, 21 teams, they find out their score. Uh, they, found out, they find out where they lacked and where they excelled. They find out where they placed out of 24 teams, but no one else does. So it's anonymous. So, you know, we, we want it to be the platform for, for learning. So sometimes the, the dead last team that experimented something new, Mm -hmm. They learned the most, and that's that's the best place to learn and fail. Uh, is, yeah. is in the exercise. I think that's a good balance. It's always a challenge when you you want it to be educational and you want it to be about lessons learned. Um, uh, it's always trying to find a fine balance between those. Uh, so I think that what you've mentioned sounds like a a fur uh, a fur method um, for balance between those. Um, the other thing, so you mentioned a bit about cross shields. Cross shields is for as it's October November. I went. Uh, yeah, uh, crosswords. Crosswords used crosswords, to be. Crosswords, yeah. Uh, it used to be January, but we found it's too tight, too close together mm. for lock shields, which is in April. So now, for the last two years, we've had it in December. So actually, it's okay. coming okay. up in um, two or three weeks now, the mm. seven and eight, seven and eight December. Yep. So uh, um, this is much much smaller due to the nature, you know, kind of a boutique experimental exercise, mm -hmm. uh, which has grown sizably uh, as well. But it cannot it cannot scale just like uh, Lock Shields has mm -hmm. has scaled. Uh, uh, it used to be solely offensive cyber. Uh, mm -hmm. Since three years back, now there is a military command element and uh, special forces and military police kinetic element. Uh, it involves many international partners, different nations, special forces, the NATO Special Operations Toolhouse, uh, some nations, military police. You know. And then still the primary training audience is the offensive cyber team that uh, that is comprised of uh, students sent from our member nations. Mm -hmm. I think it's really yeah. important. Is, is you know, countries need to, you know, I was always kind of a bit on the fence about the offensive side of things. And, uh, you know, it can always be a tricky situation. Uh, but it seems to be right now is the, is the best deterrent. Uh, and, you know, we, countries need to be able to defend by being able to, uh, you know, taking down the things that's going to attack you. Uh, so it's really important to make sure that you, you know, defend as, as far as possible. 
Um, so offensive, you know, a lot of countries are investing in this area significantly. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's great to see the activities, um, you know, and the, and the lessons learned from these events. I, I, I compare it to boxing as a cadet mm -hmm. at the U S air force Academy. I, <laughs> uh, I had to take boxing and I wasn't good at it, but I liked it. So I even took, mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, picked it as an intramural sport. Uh, I mostly lost, but. You know, initially I thought that I need to get really good at defense, that I'm going to block every punch coming at me. But, you know, if you let the other guy just wail at you with, with not being scared to be punched back, initially, they're, I mean, initially you can, you can block their punches, but they're going to get through. So you need to strike back. That's, that's the way it is. Absolutely. We just had recently uh, JC Vega on, uh, who basically did the, the academy uh, at West Point and also was explaining about, you know, the importance of why at West Point they do boxing uh, as important kind of, you know, to show um, about one is, you know, what it's like to be hit, but also, you know, the ability to, to defend, uh, you know, basically in, by, by attacking. Um, so it was kind of really interesting. Uh, we were talking about the importance of simulations during that episode. So it was great to have that, that input. Yeah, great. I've heard that it's gotten soft now as, you know, the world is getting soft, so boxing is optional. It's, <laughs> it's sad. But uh, I went back for my 20th reunion in 2018, and I uh, I walked to the athletic gym, and I saw the, the, the old writing on a wall was still there. It said, um, tough times don't last, tough people do. I, I yeah. remember it to this, this day. So yeah. my boxing class in 1990. Or I think. Oh, okay. That's right. I, yeah. I used to. I used to go. My my family was based in West Point, so a lot of my vacations were spent there. It was an amazing place. I really enjoyed it. So on base. Um, so it's you know it's a definitely a a really a, you know, um you know the talent and to, you know people that comes out of West Point is impressive. So it's always it was great to see that. Um, one of the things I've got you know question as well around is the, every year. Uh, there's also the major event, which is Psycon. And of course, the last couple of years, this went digital. Um, and usually, I, I remember as well, there's also the US, uh, there's a Psycon US in DC as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Psycon, the event itself, and uh, what it uh, it does? Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's start with the bad news, that the Psycon US is no more. Uh, okay. The, the Army Cyber Institute that, that uh, was our partner for organizing mm -hmm. Psycon US um, due to the pandemic that, you know, they skipped two years and uh, mm -hmm. uh, that they, they said they, they're going to devote their resources, direct the resources somewhere else that uh, it, it's hard in you know, Washington, D.C. There are so many conferences. It was hard yeah. to attract yeah. you know, audiences that, uh, that they said it's, it, it's not worth the effort. So. Uh, in the foreseeable future, no Psycon US, but uh, Psycon in Estonia and Tallinn is still alive and well. And mm -hmm. I'm crossing fingers. I'm hoping that um, uh, from 1st of June to 3rd of June, uh, this coming 2022, we can have a physical conference. Because, uh, you know, Psycon is known, yes, for its high, you know, highly prepared panels where people have written research papers. That have been, you know, double double blind reviewed and then selected, mm -hmm. um, and then the very high level, good mix of keynotes by uh, political, military, and industry and acad academic leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, but the psychon vibe is 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 there in the 
in the group that that meets it's also a good mix of you know government military and industry academia mm-hmm. academia we never we never try to be the biggest conference in the world we shoot that about you know 700 people that's max yeah. we don't want to go bigger uh but uh we we try to have really relaxing fun conference side events uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, the last physical cycle in 2019, um, my support crew persuaded me that it's a good idea to have the conference dinner at the uh, indoor beach and uh, in, in, in shorts and in beach gear. Yeah, it was an indoor volleyball pit, really, really yeah. large one, you know, with three courts. Uh, and I was like, okay, you know, you've done good events before, so I trust you. Let's go. And it was it was great. You you see those high level, you know, mm-hmm. leaders uh, in in shorts and then uh, Hawaiian shirts and t-shirts uh, there uh, drinking beer and then talking to each other, and it it worked great. So um, and that's really the cyber cooperation where where connections mm-hmm. are made and uh, and then things happen. So. Uh, you can't do that in an online conference. So absolutely, yes, I, two, two years. I, yeah, I even agree. And you know, it's it's very difficult. You know, I, I'm a you know frequent speaker of conferences all over the world, and and you know in the past what, eighteen months or so, it's, it's that that interactive feedback, the networking piece is is very much you know it's an avoid, and you, know, you can't replace those with individual events. It's very very difficult. No matter how well organizations have tried, it's very difficult to replace that networking portion. Um, and that's where, you know, a lot of the real conversations, that's where the lessons learned, that's where some of the innovations occur. Um, so, you know, it's really important. I think many will look to go back into in-person when possible. Uh, so it's great to hear that. Uh, I, I mean, I thought PsyCon this year was fantastic, especially moving to digital uh, from previous years. I think you know, that conversion was really fantastically executed. Um, but it's great to see it going back to, to also including the in-person because I think that that networking, that feedback, the the in-person side of things, it's you can't replace it with a digital aspect. Yeah, well, uh, I can't promise you that <laughs> under the you know rules in place in Estonia mm-hmm. on first of May 2022 we can do it. Uh, by the rules in place today, if everybody's vaccinated, I think we could. Uh, yeah. And looks like Estonia has turned a corner, so the numbers are slowly coming back down. So I. You know, crossing fingers. Hope everything's going well. That by springtime, we're we are we're low numbers, uh, and the normal normal life is back. We'll we'll see. Absolutely. Uh, let's. We can all keep our hopes up, and uh, definitely, I've I've in the last couple of couple of weeks, I've been you know finding getting back into in person events. So, you know, it's been within the EU so far, um, and uh, uh, the turnout has been fantastic, and it's been great to get those connections back again and, and working with peers and. So uh, definitely, I think um, slowly, but surely, as things open up and the higher vaccination and uh, you know uh, rates, will definitely allow countries to open up more freely. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Um, anything so, else you want to want to know about what we what we do? No, I think I think we've covered a lot of the areas that I wanted to go through, and Nyak has been fantastic having you on. I think for the, a lot of people, when I'm talking, I, I always refer to uh, the NATO Center of Defense and you know, Corporate Center of Excellence. I always get that acronym is always difficult to say. <laughs> so yeah. CCDCOE. Um, but I'm always talking about it, and uh, a lot of people have heard, um, but I think it's really important for them to really understand the value and that it provides and. The service that we're you know we're getting from it globally, um, I think it's doing fantastic. 
Um, I just want to make sure that our audience, you know, it's, it's across the world. Um, we've got a lot of uh, audience in North America, and I think really getting the insights and knowing uh, what the center does uh, is very valuable. And hopefully we'll see, you know, a lot more cooperation and uh, working together uh, in the months and years to come. So, Jörg, it's been a pleasure. Anything you would like to, to share with the audience before we kind of wrap up today's episode? Well, everybody get vaccinated uh, <laughs> and still stay safe um, and uh, check our website, ccdcoe.org, for, for any news and participate in our events. So uh, it's, it's great to serve the cyber community. Absolutely. We'll make sure that in our show notes as well, we'll, we'll add links to the talent manual. Um, uh, maybe, you know, so we can get a couple of the, the uh, public available videos of Lock Shields and we'll definitely put uh, the links to, to the center itself. So, um, Jakob, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, stay safe. Hopefully um, all is well. And, uh, you know, for the audience out there, uh, stay safe. Definitely, you know, do get vaccinated so we can get back to a normal world again where we can go and shake hands and talk to each other. So, um, Many thanks. Uh, stay safe. Uh, this is 401 Access Denied. I'm your host of the episode, Joe Carson. Uh, join us every two weeks uh, for the podcast. And uh, thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cyberry for Business by going to www.cyberry.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.